0: From the Medical Republic, I'm Wendy John. This is The Tea Room. Look, it's been a big couple of years for health politics. Medical Republic has been reporting faithfully on the changing politics of healthcare across Australia. And now with a new government, lots of other shifts and changes are expected. Now, I know that you are busy enough at the front line of healthcare as much as the politics impact you it's not the only kind of news that you want to have to read so i've invited one of the medical republic's political reporters francis wilkins to join us in the tea room today francis is going to give us a brief rundown on some of the juiciest political stories he's recently reported thanks so much francis for joining us do you have your tea or coffee ready
1: Being the tea room, I definitely had a cup of tea and I've also got plenty of warm winter woolies on because of the temperature. So yeah, Yeah. good to go.
0: Tea and winter woolies, it's the weather for it. Now, Francis, there are lots of motherhood statements bandied about during the election campaign, but some doctors are saying that health wasn't a high enough priority. There wasn't decent debate and discussion about it prior to the election. So... Our Prime Minister Albanese promised yet another committee, the Strengthening Medicare Task Force, to be chaired by the uh, incoming or the Federal Health Minister, Mark Butler. Do you know if there's been any progress on this at all?
1: Well, in short, no, we don't at this point. And I think this might sort of be a kind of precursor to the sort of thing we will be seeing maybe in the next few months that the devil will definitely be. In the, detail. in the detail. And that's obviously, that's something that's not uh, unique to this cycle of Parliament at all. But w- if we look at what's already been announced, we have the uh, Strengthening Medicare Fund, and that's going to be sort of put together by the Strengthening Medicare Task Force. So we're talking about 750 million, I think, over forward estimates, and that's 250 a year from 2023 to 24. But we're also looking at 220 million in the Strengthening Medicare GP grants. Now, this is, to be honest, uh, it seems like a bit of an add-on. We're we're talking here about upgrading IT systems, upskilling staff, and improving ventilation and infection control. All worthy things. And we, we know that GP practices do need that kind of support. But I think we have to ask, is this where primarily we're looking money to be spent? The flagship announcement right at the very beginning of the campaign if you remember back then, it was 50 Medicare urgent care clinics, and that was a cost of 135 million over four years. And that didn't really go down too well. I think one of the um, AMA sources I spoke to said, "Okay, well, it's you know, it's a good idea to a certain extent, but it's only 50 clinics, and does this really represent coherent policy? It's it's maybe it's a pilot, something that might work well." But this is not, you know, this is not a flagship package. So it, it, it's interesting to see those 50 urgent care clinics were the sort of the big ticket item right until the week before the election itself, when we had the uh, Strengthening Medicare Task Force.
0: I wonder whether Strengthening Medicare is going to involve an actual structural reform of fees and billing, as opposed to more cash being
1: well, you, you've, hit, you've hit the nail on the head there. Strengthening Medicare, what does that actually mean? I mean, I, I think it's been talked about a lot. We know it needs to be strengthened and we know the, the rebate needs to be increased and we need to address the GP shortage and so on. So strengthening Medicare in itself really doesn't mean too much without that detail and without it being funded sensibly and yeah. appropriately.
0: Like you said, the devil's in the detail. I covered a world health Cloud Summit. So World Health is a sister publication to Medical Republic around digital health, digital tech. Uh, Check it out, worldhealth.net.au. And Professor Stephen Duckett, who's a renowned health economist in Australia, he spoke at the World Health Cloud Summit. And his analysis shows that there is potential for major reform with this new government. And he also said something I thought was fascinating, that Australians trust Labor with Medicare reform more than they trusted the former Government, so I think, hey, watch this space. If something is going to happen, it wouldn't it be nice to think that we're at the tipping point of it?
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah, and I, I, I hope it will prove to be the case. But for the sake of healthcare overall, but uh, because the electorate might have had a degree of distrust in the uh, the Morrison and previous Liberal administrations, doesn't automatically imply trust in labor I think once that honeymoon period is over once people get over that oh we're in a new era kind of feeling they will be definitely looking to hold labor to account more on every policy issue including healthcare. and that might actually prove to be one of the tougher ones we'll have we will have to wait and see.
0: Yeah, absolutely, as they should be holding them to account as well. But there's been a giant leap in interstate cooperation as well. So if we pull it down to the state level, Victorian and New South Wales premiers are proposing a reform so that GPs and hospitals working much more closely together tell us a bit about that
1: well this this is a really interesting one now this this announcement was uh, i think in uh, early june late may and yes we we're looking at maybe a thawing of the relationship between new south wales which hasn't always been great if you remember back to the pandemic we saw good cooperation between the states not just victoria and new south wales however it didn't last right through the pandemic, and I think the tipping point was where there was differences between former Premier Gladys Berejiklian and Victorian Premier Dan Andrews about when children should return to school, and I think that's when cracks started to uh, emerge. And, and to be honest, it, it surprised me they hadn't um, emerged earlier. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this, this was a this was a, 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 a body that did an incredibly good job, I think, in the in the first year uh, year or so. I mean, you you were, you're replacing COAG which had its shortcomings with a national cabinet which initially did some good work.
0: Yeah, so what's this new cooperation going to look like?
1: Well, I think what's interesting here is which parties are dealing with one another. Now, uh, Andrews and Perrottet have announced this, they're talking about proposing agenda, could ensure GPs and hospitals work close together. But hang on, let's think about this for a moment cooperation between the states on hospitals is a bit of a bit of an odd one because the states have responsibility for hospitals but obviously the commonwealth has responsible for GPs so suggesting that GPs can somehow support hospitals through cooperation between the states is a bit of a weird one because there's you know there are multiple parties here you have the commonwealth government the states government the GPs and the hospitals and i think what's going to be more interesting will be conversations that Premier Perrottet has with the Prime Minister and the Commonwealth Government, because change within the GP sector is not going to come from the states. It's interesting that uh, the New South Wales Regional Health Minister, Bronnie Taylor, Propose bringing rural primary care into the state's purview, which is which is a very interesting one. I think that will be as interesting as anything to watch. I I don't think we should be looking at a, a, a you know a new partnership here between Victoria and New South Wales. Might be a you know it might be the start of a friendlier relationship, but whether this actually means anything substantive in terms of healthcare, I I rather think not. It's it's no harm, but I don't think it means anything. So yeah, that will be interesting to watch.
0: Now, you wrote a story warning on Perite's health funding package. So, the uh, AMA's New South Wales branch has cautiously welcomed a $4.5 billion healthcare funding package. What do we need to be warned about?
1: Well, I spoke to the AMA's New South Wales president, Dr. Michael Bonning, and one of the things he said is, well, where are these, where are these people going to come from? And, you know, we, we, we want to avoid doctors who might be engaged in uh, MBS fee-for-service general practice, being recruited to be part of the hospital system, I think, as he put it quite well. You know, you might have a plus plus in plus one in one space, but does that mean a minus one in another space? The, the, these people have to come from somewhere. And then, so then we're looking more at how do we recruit people into general practice, so it gets back to this question of training and recruitment and so on. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that's what we need to be careful about more than anything.
0: Yeah, and it's hard to recruit and train people for a profession when the underlying funding structure is still really unsatisfying for a lot of doctors.
1: Absolutely, so- and I think what we're as, as you can sort of see through a conversation we're, we're going back to our ideas that have been articulated articulated over and over again this is one of the challenges of the medicare task force you know we don't need to be digging in see asking ourselves what is the problem the ama racgp acrim and so on have already articulated this over many years we know what the problem is we, we just need it to be addressed
0: health practitioner regulation it's also a bit of a hot topic So how complete? Oh, it is, isn't it? Yeah, well,
1: we we've probably uh, all seen the stories in nine newspapers and maybe seen sixty minutes and so on of these, quite frankly, bizarre medical procedures. If you haven't seen the video, even the, the the written copy is enough to send a chill down your spine, and the regulation, we're looking at things like uh, patient testimonials, whereby influencers on TikTok and so on can convince people, and uh, certainly those most vulnerable are going to be young women, that they do actually need to have this procedure. They do need that liposuction to look good. And one of the things that we're talking about in regulation here is should these testimonials and advertising, when it relates to a regulated health service, uh, should, should that be allowed? Now, the national law is currently being considered in Queensland, which is the the lead jurisdiction for the national law. The uh, Queensland Environment, Health and Environment Committee met last week uh, on Wednesday, and they're, they're due to report their findings on the 1st of July. And one of the uh, considerations there, which has worried doctors, is the lifting of the ban on advertising regulated health services. And th- this is precisely what they're looking for. These testimonials would then become not a problem at all and do we really want to see these things out in the public domain I, th- I think from a health perspective it's fairly clear
0: where did that push come from
1: well their the health ministers signed off on it
0: maybe he's got a really good tiktok profile and <laughs>
1: <laughs> quite Quite possibly. But uh, sort of from GP perspective, there are other sort of very uh, significant amendments to the national law, which were considered last Wednesday and which will be considered in the final report. And one yes. of those is uh,
0: disciplinary yeah. action,
1: disciplinary action. That's right. Now, one of these would be uh, uh, an amendment for disciplinary action to be taken against health practitioners while unregistered. And the RACGP has said that we already have the mechanism to do this. So removing that uh, revision doesn't really make sense. But I think more of concern to GPs is this this proposal to allow information on complaints to be made public before investigations are complete. Now, this is is a major worry. You know, the, the GP who's done nothing wrong and yet has Even the word complaint or even the the smallest hint that something is not right, going out there in the public domain, that's not a good look.
0: So what is the RACGP after? Well,
1: the RACGP are really calling for balance in this in this whole situation. When I um, when I was reporting this story, what they were really calling for, what I, the sense I got was that they, they want balance that will benefit not just consumers but also uh, healthcare professionals and GPs. The uh, RACGP president, adjunct professor Karen Price, said that um, she was wary of an overly judicious regulatory system and that uh, that will put people off uh, being recruited to the medical workforce and key problem here also is increased practitioner stress there's
0: enough of that already
1: there is enough of that already and it's not just covid and again we get back to these themes you know inadequate funding of uh, gp practices the the inability to have long consultations because that doesn't really sit well with the fee-for-service model so uh, yeah we we are we really need to see some balance in the way this uh, national law is is approached and it'll be interesting to see w- which of these amendments gets through when it's ultimately considered by uh, by the, um, the parliament in Queensland.
0: So really what the problem is with the health care sector what the problems are have been spoken about identified clearly uh, outlined for many years it's an opportunity not just for reformation it's time for revolution <laughs> <laughs> it's like Okay maybe not revolution it's time for a, it's an opportunity for a real change so i hope that our politicians are listening to the tea room yeah, today
1: Absolutely it is an opportunity for change and i i think if we look at sort of what's on the horizon in terms of political issues and news i think it is very much about the election as i said the uh, the honeymoon period is not quite over but it will be and when it comes to healthcare gps and the profession will be looking to the government the federal government to deliver on these things things like the uh, uh the 10 year um healthcare plan which is which is now uh, out there but the funding is the the real question obviously I think another thing is the performance of uh, hospitals against the challenges of flu, coronavirus, uh, coming at the same time, you know, this uh, RSV, this triple whammy. The government, state governments, but also federal governments, their performance will be judged by these, uh, what happens in hospitals and what happens to those numbers. Not because necessarily it's uh, one is the responsibility of one party, but because those are the things that are sexy,
0: one of the other structural reforms that's being called for through the, the, the tech side of the health sector, so virtual care, digital health, is interoperability. And uh, at the Wild Health Summit that I mentioned earlier, there was a call from some, a very strong call for a stake to be put in the hand that all healthcare data needs to be meaningfully shareable between providers and patients and between different levels of healthcare. And at the moment, most of the primary care electronic health records are not in the cloud, so they can't be shared easily and that data can't be properly gathered and analysed, which means you can't find out where the efficiencies of the hospitals are, where the efficiencies of the clinics are. And when you don't know where the efficiencies are, you can't make savings of, of lives and dollars. So part of the solution for healthcare in Australia is to actually know what is happening and we can't get a good idea of what is happening without the data and many in the tech sector would be saying we can't get the data unless there's proper interoperability between the systems. Now that's not something that GPs have a direct connection with or have any influence over but it's definitely a part of the solution that's being called for at the moment. So yeah interoperability needs to happen I,
1: I think it is something that's on the radar without a doubt
0: yes you know the devil's in the detail you mentioned that earlier the, the details in the data and so from from policy creation you can't manage what you don't measure anyway i'll hop off that high horse um i think to wrap up we've had some happy birthday queen news as well 10 gps have been honored with that's Queen's right birthday honors That's
1: right. And interestingly, no women among them, unfortunately. Mm. So, you know, that's notable. I mean, why that's the case, I don't know. Certainly, there are some very notable women Who are not primarily GPs, you know, thinking of uh, Mary Louise McClaws, for example. But um, yeah, no women GPs. Mm. So that's a a bit of a disappointment. It
0: is disappointing. Doesn't take away from the significant honour and and respect deserved for for the 10 who were recognised.
1: Absolutely not. All power to them. And uh, they come from a whole range of backgrounds. And uh, yeah, definitely contributions to the, the healthcare profession and general practice, very, very significant.
0: Hurrah for the GPs. Absolutely. Now, just before we wrap up, I wanted to do a plug for a couple of Tea Room episodes that you, Francis, will be hosting in a few weeks when I take off on a bit of a holiday.
1: That's right. We'll be talking to some key political figures and healthcare professionals. So watch the Tea Room for those coming up a bit later.
0: Excellent. Thanks so much, Francis, for your time today.
1: It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Wendy.
0: That was Francis Wilkins, political reporter at the Medical Republic. I'm Wendy John. Thanks for joining me in the Tea Room.